Welcome to the Carrie Newhoff Leadership Podcast, a podcast all about leadership, change, and personal growth. The goal? To help you lead like never before in your church or in your business. And now, your host, Carrie Newhoff. Well, hey, everybody, and welcome to episode 153 of the podcast. My name is Carrie Newhoff, and I hope our time together today helps you lead like never before. Well, one of the top questions I get as a leader, and I get this all the time, I get it online, I get it in person when I speak at events, I, when, when I mentor leaders, here's, here's what I hear. Okay, I'm not the senior leader. How do I lead up? And, you know, I kind of got my answer that I'll give. And uh, back on episode 126, we had Mike Bonham in. But my good friend Clay Scroggins has got a brand new book out today that I think is going to add so much to the dialogue. He's got a book called How to Lead When You're Not in Charge. And you think you've got, like, you know, a boss with ideas. Well, his boss is Andy Stanley. And uh, Clay actually leads the church that Andy started, North Point Church, so he is the lead pastor of the Alpharetta campus, and Andy is the senior pastor of North Point Ministries these days. And Clay's book is just chocked with all kinds of wisdom. It's it's like it's a, a substantial book, um, and it's so practical. And the thing is, he's he's lived it. He's always been a leader who sat in the second chair. And Clay's young. He's like in his mid thirties. He's got a family, so he's trying to juggle all the stuff you are. And it's just—it's a powerful book. But but more than that, Clay is just an incredible leader too. So congrats, Clay, on your first book. We're going to talk all about it. You're going to get a ton of value out of today's episode, and you can find everything in the show notes too. Just go to kerryneuhoff.com/slash/episode-one-fifty-three. you can't spell that, go to leadliknevervefore.com and uh, click on the blog, and and you'll see the show notes there just in the search engine, type in Clay Scroggins. If you type in the Scrog Dog, which is what I call him, uh, you will not find it. But anyway, if you see him in person, you can call him that. Hey, can you believe it? It's August. It is showtime, go time for some of you in church world. This is when everybody comes back. It is not the case where I am in Canada. Everybody's away for a while because the weather's still nice, but uh, everything starts up here after Labor Day. And wherever you happen to be, I hope it's a great fall for you. Or maybe in your business, you know, I know a lot of accountants take not the summer off, but you know, it's not that intense, or I know there are lawyers who listen as well, and well, things are busy there 12 months a year. But anyway, whatever your summer brought, I hope it brought some good stuff. It was kind of an exciting one for me because by the time this hits the air, I will have finished the first draft of my next book. And I can't say a whole lot about it right now. I'm really excited. It's coming out the fall of 2018 with Waterbrook and Penguin, and uh, they have been great to work with. So uh, that's kind of exciting. We'll do some drafts this fall, and you'll hear a lot more about that in 2018. And we're also getting ready to ship the next course that I've been working on. It's called Breaking 200 Without Breaking You. A 200 is the mythical barrier in the church world that nobody seems to be able to break through. In fact, 85% of all churches never get past 200 tenders. And that is coming this fall, early this fall, and I'm so excited to get this course in the hands of leaders. So hang on to that because uh, we'll be introducing a lot more very shortly. In the meantime, are you ready for the fall? Like really, really ready for the fall? How about your volunteers? I know we had to bring on a whole lot more volunteers this year at Connexus Church. Actually, this summer, we hit our highest kids numbers ever in the dead of summer. Couldn't believe it. 
How do you train your volunteers? One of the best ways there is hands down today is to use trainedup.church. Uh, Scott Magdalene and the people over there have done a great job of putting an online platform together that trains your volunteers in their time. In other words, in, instead of trying to get everybody together, you know, on a Thursday night where half the people don't show up, it's just online training. It's amazing. I, I don't know why somebody didn't think of this earlier. And you can do it in three different ways. You can get them to do everything. They've got videos ready to go. You just say, okay, volunteers, watch this. You don't have to do a thing. Your volunteers are trained. Some of you are like, no, 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 we have secret sauce. We need to share. Great. You can shoot your own videos and then upload it to trainedup.church and send your volunteers there. Or um, let's say you're like, well, we do have secret sauce, but we don't have enough gear. Well, they'll even give you gear. They will like, you know, rent you a package. So they'll do all the production and everything and you can do the content. So three different levels. Make sure you check it out at trainedup.church and tell them that we sent you. Okay. Make sure you mention that you heard it on the Carrie Newhoff Leadership Podcast. Also, Orange Tour, um, there are still a few tickets left and I'm going to be on a lot of stops this fall. You can go to orangetour.org. I would love to hang out with you. And in the meantime, uh, thanks so much. You know, the show has had its best week ever in the dead of summer last July. I had the best week ever. And thank you for sharing this podcast with other leaders. If you would be so kind, leave a rating and review on iTunes. You can just do that or wherever you get your podcasts. And make sure you subscribe because we had a lot of good stuff coming up. I'll tell you about that after. But in the meantime, here is my conversation with Clay Scroggins. He is the lead pastor of North Point Community Church in Alpharetta, Georgia. So excited about the content he's putting into the hearts and minds of leaders about how to lead when you're not in charge. And bosses, by the way, if you're a senior leader, listen up. There's some great stuff in here about how to do a better job leading your team. Well, it's just so much fun to have Clay Scroggins back today. Welcome, Clay. Thank you, Carrie. This is, um, I'm not just saying it, it's a total honor to be back. Thank you. I, I hope we had a blast. I had a blast the first time. <laughs> well, I had a blast. I always have fun when we hang out, you know, whether that's going to a restaurant or out after an event or in the green room or just hanging out. It's always great. Always great. Yeah, Carrie, we, we end up, because of your connection to the North Point uh, network of churches, I feel like we end up at a lot of, uh, I don't know, dinner type meals functions together. But yeah, I love the fact that you're not afraid to go out with the guys after the after the dinner. <laughs> <laughs> We've done that a few times, haven't we? That's right. That's right. That's, That's right. where all the best conversations happen, man. That's, That's where true. all the best That's stuff true. happens. And, right. and Clay's a riot, you know, for a guy who just I've spent too much time as a senior leader. So all the fun's been kicked out of me. Uh, over the years, but um, Clay's the kind of guy you want around because you always have a, a good time, a fun time. So uh, Clay, statistically speaking, you know, you've got tens, yep. I don't know, 30, 40, 50,000 people listening to this episode of the podcast. Statistically speaking, even though math is not my strong suit, That's right. um, the vast majority are probably not senior leaders, even though this podcast attracts a lot of senior leaders. I mean, just statistically, sure. you know, you have a large organization, you have one senior leader, everybody else works for somebody else. That's right. Um, so why did you write this book and who is it for? Yeah, well, exactly what you just said is why I wrote it is because I feel like 99% of leadership material is written for the 1% that is yeah. actually the senior leader in charge of an organization. And the other 99% of us are left I guess fending for ourselves, trying to trying to pick up the crumbs from all of the leadership material that's been written to that one percent. Uh, but honestly, 
it it came out of a personal struggle for me. I, as a campus pastor, um, and you know, I'm like a franchise operator, hmm. and it's a new it's a new role. I mean, ten years ago, there was no such role in the church world as campus pastor. Yeah, not really. And you know, everybody, most churches have a student pastor or a children's pastor, associate pastor, but this was a new role. So trying to figure out how to lead our campus like I own it, yet understanding the fact that I have a plethora of bosses and I'm not really in charge, that that's really, over the last six years, that's been the struggle for me. And the struggle is real. It is a real <laughs> struggle trying to figure so- that out. So. Let's give uh, leaders some context in terms of what you are, because sometimes I think the stereotype can be, you know, the senior leader is the real leader, everybody else on the team, you know, they don't really lead anything. You lead something. You lead one of the largest campuses in the North Point churches. You're a young leader. We talked about that last time you were on the podcast. So give us a context for your level of organization, your level of leadership, even not being the senior leader. Sure. So, you know, any given Sunday, um, we'll have at all six of our Atlanta area campuses, I I don't know, somewhere around 35,000 people in attendance. And our local campus has about 12,000 on any given Sunday. And our organization has maybe five, between five and 600 employees. And I lead about 110 employees at the location that, uh, where I serve. So, yeah, that's the size context. But honestly, the the organizational uh, layout, it, it's very similar to a franchise model. I mean, we, you know, I lead our campus and I've, there's five other campus pastors that do what I do. And we really don't have a main campus. People say that a lot. Oh, you're at North Point and Alpharetta, you're at the main campus. My response is typically we don't have a main campus, just like you don't have any main children. They're all all of your children are your main <laughs> children. Um, but we really don't, we, it is the original and it is the founding campus, I guess. And it is the largest, but it's, it really, we treat it like it's one of the six. Um, and so Mm -hmm. I've got, I've got a number of central bosses that I report to. And, um, and then obviously everyone reports to Andy Stanley, people that work at North Point and people that don't. So (laughs) that's right. So so you are you are somebody who is leading something very very big and and in fact you could end up being the senior leader of something that size i mean 99% of churches in america and around the world are smaller than the campus that you lead and yet you're not in charge so the point i'm trying to make is simply this you can have tremendous responsibility and tremendous authority but not be the senior leader Right. That's right. And and I think I think that's really important for people to realize too. And and anybody who knows anything about teams know knows that if you're trying to build a great team, you're gonna get high capacity leaders around that table. What's a number one frustration in your view for most leaders who are not the person in charge in the organization? Like if you had to say, Okay, this is the one yep. at the center of the bullseye, I'm sensing it's this. What would you say that is? Well, for me it's control. Um, everyone likes to have control and when you're not in charge, you just, it, you're way more apt to feel like you're out of control. Mm. So I have a friend that I work with named Justin Elam who gave, he, he passed on this illustration, but at our, at our local grocery store, we've got those, um, grocery carts that have, that are shaped like a car and they've got the little steering wheel. So oh, yeah. my 
Uh, we've got uh, we've got little kids, uh, eight, six, four, two. Those are their ages, mm-hmm. names. And one on the way. <laughs> and one on the way. That's right. And you know, one of my roles as a dad is to do a lot of the grocery shopping. So I'll take our kids, and they'll sit in that grocery cart with that steering wheel, and they'll turn it, you know. And so I'll play <laughs> along, and they'll be turning the steering wheel, and so I'll move the cart like they're steering it. And then, sure enough, they'll see the candy aisle, and they'll want they'll start frantically <laughs> turning to go on the candy aisle, and the cart will just continue to move straight. And they look at me with that bewildered, how dare you, you lied to me, dad, kind of look, <laughs> going, this steering wheel doesn't work. And through some conversations about the way it feels to be a campus pastor, Justin passed that on to me, said, hey, this is my view, is that it feels like they've at times that they've given you the steering wheel, but it doesn't really turn. It doesn't really work. And what I have found is that the steering wheel actually works more than we think it works. We think that only when I sit in the ultimate, the senior seat of authority, do I have the steering wheel. But the truth is, is that we all have influence over the steering wheel more than we even think we do. Hmm. The other thing I've learned is that and, and I, I did an event uh, recently with a number of uh, leaders who some of them had learned how to lead when they weren't in charge, or most of them had, uh, but a few of them were in senior seats. And so Andy Stanley was on this event, Louis Giglio, um, Frank Blake, who was the former CEO of mm-hmm. Depot. And every one of them said the same thing about being in charge. They said one of the lies about being in charge is that you think you have full control. But you don't have control when you're in charge or when you're not in charge. And Carrie, you've been you've been in that seat yourself. Yeah. And I would imagine you would agree with that. Oh yeah, absolutely. Because sometimes, you know, and I'm 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 not the lead pastor anymore. I'm the founding teaching pastor, but I'm sort of running my own thing, this podcast and some other things. And you think, you know, when you're in charge that yeah, you hold all the cards, but I mean, maybe a dictator does, or maybe maybe somebody who's a terrible leader does, but right. you're still reporting to a board. And yes. my goodness, you start acting like you hold the steering wheel. Nobody else has a say and good luck keeping a team. Good That's luck. That's exactly right. That's yeah. exactly right. So, and I think sometimes when you're not in charge, you forget that. Well, you're absolutely right. I think one of the helpful things for me has been realizing that even if I were to get in charge, I wouldn't really have the steering wheel. Frank Blake said, he said, when I became CEO of Home Depot, I all of a sudden was now accountable to every customer that shops at Home Depot, <laughs> yeah. which is, I don't know what the number, millions of customers. So he said, I have more bosses now than I ever had when I wasn't in the senior leader seat. So it's just, it's the, it's the myth of authority. The myth is, is that when I'm in charge, I will be able to lead. And until I'm in charge, I'm just waiting to lead. And the truth is, whether you're in charge or not, you can have influence from whatever seat you're in. And so mm-hmm. honestly, I cannot muster up enough passion in me to talk about this adequately because I feel so determined for myself as a leader who's not in charge, but also to help leaders who find themselves, whether they're in an intern spot or a middle manager or a salesperson or a, you know, I lead this particular franchise or this location. I want people to find their path, find their lane on how to lead without the authority that they think they need. And I think the sooner we can do that, I think the sooner we can start having the kind of influence that 
that is available to us. So in a really practical way, what is the way that your personal frustration with a lack of control shows up? How do you how do you experience that? Yeah, well, every everyone has had this situation where you you know you're sitting in a meeting and we're going to make a decision. Let's say I'll, I'll just use my my former life. I was in student ministry, so we'll sit in a mm-hmm. meeting and we'll all decide. You know, the, so the leaders running the meeting, and I would I'd be one of the associates in the meeting. And we say, okay, we're going to figure out what the theme for camp is going to be. And we'll all talk about that for an hour and come up with something creatively brilliant. And we'll all walk out going, okay, that's the theme for camp. Then the next week you end up creating some content around it, maybe writing an outline around it, maybe creating some artwork, some graphics, creating some other creative ideas. Come to find out another week later that the boss has changed the camp theme because he had a conversation with his spouse and she said, Oh, that's dumb. Or he bumped into one of his neighbors and ran it past him. And he said, Oh, that's a stupid idea. Here's a better idea. And so that lack of control makes you feel like you've wasted all of that effort because we've all walked down the road of an idea only for the boss to change it. So I think that that frustration to me is what every Every leader has felt from time to time. And then what you end up doing is, here's the problem, is that you end up sitting back passively going, well, I'm not going to lead out because it may get changed. And since I don't have control over the final determination of where this idea or product or project is going to go, I'm just going to sit back and I'm going to wait and I'm just going to let my boss tell me what to do. So we become too passive. We just, we sit on our hands and we've all sat, in a position where our boss came up with an idea that we thought was stupid. And mm-hmm. so we just thought, well, we're going to see how this goes and we don't <laughs> give it our all. And it ultimately sinks the idea where we have the influence to make an idea soar or to sink an idea based on our attitude and our approach to the idea. So I'm, I'm realizing that it's not the best idea that works. It's everyone leaning into the idea. That's what ultimately works. And I can do that from whatever seat I'm in. In fact, part of my responsibility as a leader is to lean into whatever the idea is or whatever the project is or whatever the d- direction is that my bosses have chosen. And I, from time to time, I get a chance to speak into those. But uh, even when I'm not, me actively trying to help push that forward is it only it, it cultivates influence for me down the road yeah and we're going to get into that to influence but i, I want to go back to what you said about the boss who you know we make a decision here's the theme for camp the team is already developing resources artwork etc cetera, etc cetera. and then three weeks later you know every boss in the world right. can has done that i may have yes. done that maybe a hundred or times <laughs> or so um what is a good way for bosses who do that? Because that does yeah. happen, and sometimes it happens for good reason. There is a That's better right. idea That's or whatever. Right. Right. How do you minimize the blow to the team? How if, if you're the boss going back and going, guys, I know we decided two weeks ago, three weeks ago, X, but now I'm thinking Y. What are some bad ways to handle that? Is there a good way to handle that? And if so, what is it? Well, I think, number one, just recognizing what you've done. That That mm. usually makes all the difference. I mean, I think if the boss can go into the team and say, Hey, this is my fault. I recognize that we made this decision two weeks ago Mm -hmm. and 
I was thinking it was the right decision, but because of that, some things have changed and I now have determined we've got to go a different direction. And I am so sorry for the effort you've put in. And I am going to try my best in the future to help us have better conversations ahead of time before we press go on whatever the next idea is. So I think recognizing it alone goes a long way. I think it's, it's the, it's the, all of us feel, have felt the frustration of you changed it and you never even recognized the work that I put in that now feels like is wasted because you decided to go a different direction. Well, as a senior leader, one of the first pieces of feedback I remember getting as, as we built our team at our church was that as a visionary leader, I always underestimate, and I still do this to this day, the amount of that's time right. something right. is going to take, the amount of effort, how many hours you put in. And I think that's a very natural boss tendency. It's like, come on, Clay, you can do that in like five minutes. I know you can do that in your sleep. And mm-hmm. what you don't realize is it wasn't five minutes. It was five hours including an hour after dinner when you could have been hanging out with your kids. And then a boss comes in and goes, ah, I don't know. Uh, I think you can do better than that. And you're like, (laughs) you know, that's demotivation. uh, 101, step one. Uh, So I get that. But you know, the common denominator I see in both of what you've talked about so far in both situations for the boss and for the employee, the boss having the humility to come back, honor the team, apologize, own it. But then okay. what you said about, you know, the boss with the mediocre idea, it's like, well, we're, we're going to throw our heart and our heads behind this and try to make, make it succeed. I think yep. in both cases, that requires a lot of humility. You're and, right. Uh, and I, th- I think humility always makes a team better. Okay, let's, uh, let's riff a little bit on common mistakes bosses make because there's a lot of bosses listening. And there's a, this will also be therapy to everybody who is not a boss. Well, you're the one who's been a boss longer than I have. So I thought you were going to just share a few of your common mistakes. Oh, yeah. Well, one would be underestimating the amount of work. Another would be changing my mind. Another would be uh, failing to prioritize. I do a very bad job. Uh, like everything's urgent to me all the time. It's just, yes. it's all on fire. It's all urgent. Well, what's important? It's all important. Except yes. tomorrow when I wake up and I decide that this isn't important. But it was important <laughs> yesterday when I thought it was important. That's um, right. You know, I don't know. I think I, I think those are some mistakes I make. What do you see? Well, for me, the I mean, the the most frustrating is when a boss delegates a responsibility but doesn't delegate the authority over the responsibility. To me, that is the maybe most grievous thing a boss can do because I want if if you put me if you hand me something to work on. I want to have the freedom and the flexibility to be able to own it like it's mine. And when I can't, when you swoop in at the last minute and change something, or when you're looking over my shoulder the whole time saying, wait, why, why are you putting that there? Um, that ultimately is going to strangle creativity. It's going to exhaust the team. And, and to your point earlier, it's not going to it's not going to recruit great leaders because great yeah. leaders, you know, I feel like in this, the role that I'm in, I don't need to be the senior leader. Um, I don't right. really have a strong desire to be the senior leader, but what I would like to be is I would like to be the campus pastor at North Point Community Church. And if you have asked me to be the campus pastor of North Point Community Church, then let me be the campus pastor and let mm-hmm. me own the decisions for this church and do whatever I think needs to be done for this church and if there's something that you disagree with or are frustrated with, let's talk about it. And 
that to me that's the one of the worst another why okay can i can i just riff off that for a second why do you think bosses do that why do you think that because that is not a unique scenario that you describe why do you think bosses end up in that trap again and again and again great question carrie i think for one there is a high trust component that has to be there when you let go of responsibility and every, you know, everyone's going to, going to approach a problem differently. And I think all of us are slaves to our past. And so when we've seen something work a certain way, we think that is the only way that it can work. And oftentimes we fail to realize that there are a lot of different ways that something can work. It really does, um, it's determined by how, how much energy someone can get behind an idea. You know, w- when you go to Hillsong, when you go to Saddleback, when you go to, you know, CCV and Phoenix, when you go to, you know, some of the great growing churches in Dallas, and then you come to Atlanta and go to some of the great growing churches, what you realize is that there are a lot of different ways to do church. Um, and the answer is not to find the best way. The answer is there is a leader who is getting people behind the idea. So I think for most bosses, they see, you know, for me, I have the hardest time in student ministry. Now I manage our student ministry and I see them doing things that I would not do. Right. And that, that scares me. Cause I think, well, whoa, 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 that's not the way we've done it in the past, or I've seen it work another way. And it takes a lot of, um, trust for me to let go of that and say, okay, I'm going to give this a season of time and let you figure it out on your own. So why do you do that? Why why do you just decide to let them run? Like, are you evaluating by results then? Like, how do you? Because because I think that goes to control as well. Everybody does love control, right? That's right. And That's for right. me to say no, that graphic design isn't quite right, or this isn't quite right, or that that didn't quite work. I mean, I relate to that struggle. I think everybody does. Who's passionate about their work, and that becomes a scale problem because, of course you know, your reach is only so big and the, you know, you should make fewer decisions as your organization grows, not more. We all know that, but that's, that's very right. hard to do. So what like run through that student ministry matrix, what keeps you from like intervening and blowing a whistle and going, uh, 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 uh. Well, I, I, I think it is the values based leadership. I think it's saying, Hey, wh- what are we valuing and what is the outcome that we want for us? That has been, I would say one of the hallmarks of our organization is that our vision is so clear that we want to be a church that unchurched people love to attend. And so for, for me managing our student ministry, that's, that is the ultimate uh, North star for us is, are you creating an environment? Are you creating an experience that an unchurched kid is going to be able to walk in and go, I, I, I don't know that I buy all of this, but I'm coming back next week. And so that, that is an easy, it's easier because we are measuring toward outcome and it's not just preferences. I think, you know, I'm 37, so I'm stuck in between Gen X and the millennial generation. Yeah. And so, yeah. um, I, I, I feel stuck a bit too. And it's, it is easy to get to hang on to our preferences of the way I like to see things done versus the way a younger leader wants to try something still moving toward the same outcome. And so I've had to let go. I am starting to have to let go of some of my preferences, which is much harder. I feel like 10 years ago, I was 27 pointing at 
the older generation saying you need to let go you. of your preferences. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> <Exactly>. Today. <laughs> exactly. You don't so get that's, it. That's right. That's been a big switch for me of going, oh, this is not easy to let go of your own preferences. And um, that, that, that's, that's the way I'm trying to do it. And then secondly, just through relationship. I mean, yeah. uh, I, I, I try to maintain great relationships with the people that are leading those environments that I'm responsible for because I want to, I want to know what's going on in their heart and in their head because it allows me to trust more. If I know, you know what, he's not just being lazy. He really cares about this. And this is a different thing he's trying that, that allows me to trust easier when there's a strong relationship there, which to your point, Carrie, that's not rocket science at all. And there's an aspect of self-talk in this, isn't it? This is a learned behavior. This is like, you're, you're telling yourself, don't jump in. That's right. uh, don't send that text. Uh, that's right. Don't don't storm that meeting. Don't accuse. That's my mm-hmm. problem. Is I naturally go, you did that because you thought this would happen. You know, instead of and they're going, uh, that's not actually why we did that. <laughs> and so I'm learning to ask questions and be more curious and say, hey, tell me what you were thinking that particular day when you made that decision. That that is a huge one for me of not accusing. Right. But yes, it's learned behavior. It's having to teach myself. Da- so David and. In- 42 lays out such a great example of this because he says, soul, why are you so downcast within me? Put mm-hmm. your hope in God, which he's saying, he's talking to himself saying, come on, yeah. like, don't be so dismayed and frustrated, but instead choose hope, which is powerful. So speaking to the senior leaders and the non-senior leaders, which would be all the leaders listening, That's right. all of us, um, when's the appropriate intervention point? When, when do you realize, oh, no, i got to blow the whistle. I've got to get involved here. What is that line in your mind? Well, you know, for us, we try to have there, – there, there has to be that, uh, that, that first caution, that conversation of caution, which I think is really, really important. I think you start with curiosity, trying to find out, and then you move toward, hey, it seems like if you continue to do this – this is going to happen. So it's more caution. And then thirdly, it's confrontation. But I think what we do is we skip past that middle step and we go from curiosity to confrontation and we don't leave space for, for caution to say, okay, I'm going to let this play out. I'm going to see where this goes because we've, you know, all of us have success stories. I mean, for the most part, I would say, Carrie, we wait too long to intervene, Mm -hmm. but all of us have success stories where we did wait it out and it turned it and the leader got better and they figured it out and they, they, they made progress with it, but those are more rare. But because of those, that's ultimately what we want to do. I feel like we're, our danger is to be too dismissive as a culture at North Point and to go, you know what, uh, we're done with you. Let's just move on and get a different leader, leader in here. That's just our tendency because we, we like progress and we want to move yep. quickly. And so we're trying to de- be more developmental and less dismissive in the way we're leading younger leaders because all of us had someone who was patient with us. So I yeah. think that the key to when to intervene is you start with a lot of curiosity, ask a lot of questions, and then you start moving a little closer and give some space saying, hey, if by the end of the year this doesn't change, we're going to have to have a different conversation. And then yeah. at the end of the year, then it's a little more clear to everyone, I think. Though, yeah, though and they're not surprised. That's right. That's the problem is that you – if you've surprised someone, you've probably uh, skipped a step, I would say. Yeah. Um, other common boss mistakes, and then we'll get into uh, employee mistakes. 
Well, you know, fear is to me the biggest, Mm. it's probably the most demotivating thing that any one of us have within us as a leader. And any fear that's in me of the future, any fear in me of what are people going to think? I mean, it's honestly, it's probably one of the best things about working with Andy Stanley is he is, he feels at least fearless, Mm. which working for someone like that is so freeing. What do you mean? Like Andy's not afraid you're going to mess up or he's not afraid. What, what do you mean that Andy is fearless? Yeah. Okay. So uh, we, we had this worship leader who changed jobs recently, went to a new church and I caught up with him bumped into somewhere, said, Hey, how's the new, how's the new situation? And he said, Oh, I'm not working there. I'm working somewhere else. So he had already left this church that he'd been there for like a month. I'm like, what in the world? How did you move on so quickly? And he said, I just started having the weirdest conversations within the first couple of weeks. I'm like, like, what are you talking about? And he said, well, I probably had in one week, I had three or four phone calls from different people in the church saying, Hey, Hey, just so you know, this gal was promised that she was going to sing here and she needs to sing here for the next couple of years or else. And a couple of them were from the senior leader saying, hey, just so you know, um, this drummer was promised this or uh, so-and-so, this singer is these wealthy people's daughter and she needs to make sure that she has a spot. You know, and he was just turn down her microphone a little bit. (laughs) Exactly. That would be another (laughs) option, a much more passive, aggressive option. But (laughs) yeah. But I, when he was telling me about this, and I'm going, these are so foreign to me because yeah. that would not happen in our organization. Because if someone tried to threaten one of our senior leaders with, hey, if you don't, we're going to leave, they're just, there's a lot of fearlessness in them, I think, of just to yeah. go, you know what? I am so sorry you feel that way. Um, and let me know how your new situation is at your new church, because we're just, we're not going to play games like that. Um, so I would say he's fearless in that way. He's just not afraid to yeah. take risks of, of trying something on a Sunday. He's not afraid to take risks of, um, telling somebody who has given a lot of money that, Hey, we're not going to do that. And here's why. Yeah. So he's um, not afraid to make the right call. And as a result, the leaders under him aren't living in fear of, oh, now I got to put this drummer on or I got to get this vocalist up or I got to do this because there's a hidden agenda that I can't really talk about. Yeah, I see what you mean. I see what you mean. And I I would also say, for the most part, Andy is not afraid. You know, one of the other things that's been great working for him is he, he talks a lot about the way he watched his dad's generation look at Bill Hybels and Rick Warren. And he said there was just, it seems like, I don't want to put words in his mouth, but it seemed like there was so much fear from that generation watching Rick Warren and Bill Hybels going like, what is this seeker sensitive thing? And who do they Mm. think they are? And he just felt like there was almost zero learning or listening or trying to understand. And so because of that, I find him to be not very threatened by new ideas because he just wants to learn. And I, I remember 10 years ago going with him to some emergent church gathering in the middle of Atlanta, which I couldn't believe he was going to this. I mean, he shocked people when he walked in, but they had invited him and they didn't think he'd really come. And, you know, at the time he just wanted to learn what is this emergent church thing all about? And I really appreciated his, he wasn't afraid of maybe this is right. Maybe we should mm-hmm. change things at our church and learn and be more like this emergent thing. Um, I don't, you don't hear much about the emergent 
movement anymore. So it's never like- fully emerged, but that's okay. <laughs> that's all right. No, you know, but, Andy, Andy, Andy is very open that way to new ideas, and he doesn't think, get defensive, at least not visibly. Not that I have experienced. So, well, so when I say, yeah. and when, he's your boss, I, that's right. Well, <laughs> I fly into well, town a couple well, times a year. He's your boss. You would know. I I just feel like leaders that are that are gripped with fear, they're going to have a hard time leading their team well, and th- that's something you can only see through very um, determined self-discovery of trying to stare the fear in the face and going, what am I afraid of? Am I afraid that this younger leader is going to be seen as better than me? Am I afraid that this idea is going to trump the idea we've been trying? Am I afraid that so-and-so is going to leave the church? Am I afraid that I'm going to lose some followership from the people that are following me? You know, I I think all of us, should spend some time staring whatever that fear is in the face yeah. and figuring out what is it because that's ultimately maybe the most detrimental thing we can do as a leader. And that's so linked to security and insecurity. And I know there's a lot of insecure leaders and you know yep. that's certainly been a journey for me over the two decades of leadership. But some days I ask myself, what's the worst thing that could happen? It's like, well, all this could fall apart. And then it's like, okay, so what else? <laughs> that's right. right. Oh, I could that's die. Right. right. I that's think right. we have eternity covered. Okay. Yep. And, you know, when you got nothing to lose, you you can accomplish a lot of stuff and you can attract a lot of people. But it's that fear, that insecurity, that that scarcity mentality that that I think drives a lot of unhealthy leadership. I'm sure this is those are human issues. Those are not just boss issues. There are second in charge, third in charge who are running with the same things. Any like common, um, you know, hazards that you see non-senior leaders, employees making in terms of, of how they try to lead and influence within their organizations? Yes. I mean, I would say, mm. you know, the first thing that I really try to tackle in the book is, is I think too often we think that uh, my boss's job is to lead me well. Yeah. And it is part of your boss's job but it's not helpful for me to hold my boss to that expectation as if my boss doesn't lead me well, then I'm not going to be led well. Um, I, I find, I find it in myself too often where it's just so easy to make an excuse for our lack of growth by saying, well, my boss isn't leading me well. So what I have tried to do over the last couple of years, I feel like when this hit me, this epiphany of, oh, wow, I can lead well, whether I'm in charge or not. The first responsibility that I have to own is the responsibility to lead myself well. Yeah. Because if I'm not leading myself well, I can't be led well by anyone, period. And, and we all know this to be true, that the people on our teams that are leading themselves well are usually the easiest ones to lead. That, that old <laughs> adage that it's easier to steer a racehorse than to carry one is just true. You can't, you know, trying to pick someone up who's not moving forward and and move them forward is next to impossible. But trying to steer someone who's already running, that's that's much easier. Mm. So we hear it, we talk about self-leadership a lot. I write about it. Lots of people talk about it. What does that mean to you? How do you lead yourself? What what are some of your core disciplines that um, you know, you're not waiting for Andy to knock on your door going, Hey, come on, Clay, let's do this. Well, I, first of all, I mean, I think the first step is owning it, first of all, mm-hmm. and, and owning my own development. 
Um, and, and then secondly, it's figuring out, okay, well then what do I need? How, where do I need to grow? What should my development plan to lead myself? Well, we, we have so many questions. I feel like that we use at, at North point. Andy, um, is such a stickler for language and words. And so we, we spend a lot of time in meetings on how to specifically say something, you know, Jeff Henderson has used that question. What is it like to be on the other side of me? Yeah. You go ask two or three people that question and you will very quickly discover where you need to grow and what <laughs> you need to do as a leader. I mean, it's not, it, it's honestly, it's too obvious for us to not know where we need to grow and how we need to lead ourselves well. And then secondly, I try to, um, I try to, I, I asked our team this last year to ask this question. If I were up for a promotion, what would cause you hesitation in recommending me for that promotion? Oh, wow. I asked everyone on our team to ask their boss that question. Say, hey, if there were a promotion, let's say at some other campus or another organization or wherever called you and said, hey, is he ready or is she ready for this promotion? What would, hesi- what would cause hesitation in you? And where, whatever that hesitation is, is probably where I need to lead myself better. Um, so for me, you know, 10 years ago, it was, I am a, I'm, I like fun. I like relationships. I'm high on relationships, low on detail. I like to make people happy. I like attention and affection and I like to be, I like to say yes. So that's my tendency. And so what I found was, is that I was having a hard time with any hard conversation. I just would, it would cause me to get on my heels whenever there was a hard conversation and I have just learned over the last 10 years through a lot of intentional effort. One of them is reading. I feel like I have read every book on difficult conversations that I know of, including fierce conversations, crucial conversations and difficult conversations, <laughs> which is amazing that all three of those are books. Um, and I've tried to learn everything I can because having it on the forefront of my mind has caused me to get on my toes and not be on my heels. And so now I don't, um, no one likes conflict. No one likes hard conversations, but I'm not afraid of it anymore. And I feel like it's because I've spent so much intentional effort trying to get better in an area where I knew I was weak in. So it's, to me, those are all components of self-leadership, but ultimately it's the habits that you have. Mm. It's, it's the habits that you've created for your own life because we are just all a collection of habits. And a a lot of it sounds like, uh, the starting point is self-awareness. It's just, I, I need to be aware of my impact on other people, what, what they see, not what I think they see. Yes. Right. Okay. That's good. Let's talk about the relationship between influence and authority, influence and authority. What's the difference? So we've touched on a little bit, Carrie, but this really, this is the big anchor for the whole, the whole concept that I'm trying to learn myself. And, And honestly, I mean this, and I don't, I don't say this in a trying to be humble kind of way, but this is my journey. A hundred percent. This is not something I have mastered and I'm going, Oh, I'm at a place where I could teach this to someone else. A hundred percent. I am, if anything, coming along someone and putting my arm around them saying, Hey, I have experienced what it feels like to not be in charge and feel like you can't lead because of that. And so I really want to help walk with you if you would be willing. And so that really is, that's what this book is all about is how do we find our voice of influence? How do we cultivate influence? So, so influence is, I think it's the ability to move anything forward. It's the ability to make Mm. any change. It's the ability to have any effect on anything. And we really want to be the kind of organization top to bottom, most senior person, 
lowest level intern where everyone has the opportunity to influence because I believe that's true. I believe that's true of every organization, but the best organizations, I feel like they have that down pat that anyone can influence anything in the organization. Now, that doesn't mean you're going to be invited to the meeting, but every one of us needs to be ready for the moment when we are invited to the meeting. Not every one of us needs to be ready for that moment when we're going to be asked, hey, what do you think about this, Carrie? Or any thoughts from you about how we could change this or move forward? So influence is really, you know, I use that definition, I guess, John Maxwell. I feel like any quote that we don't know where it is. Yeah, this is John Maxwell. John Maxwell, right. Um, But I think John Maxwell said leadership is influence. The simplest definition of leadership is just influence. And that ultimately is what wins the day, even over authority, because you can be in charge of the meeting and still get destroyed in the meeting if you're not leading through influence. And you can be a a deadbeat vice president or whatever you happen to be. And, you know, nobody's listening to you. No. Um, Can I tell the story real quickly? Um, Sure. It'd be awkward for you to tell me no at this point, Carrie. But um, about, let's see, I was 21 and I was working at the state capitol. Uh, I was a student at Georgia Tech. I was an engineering student struggling. I needed an A bad. And I found out about this internship at the state capitol. So I got this internship. They put me in the policy group. There was a brand new governor. And I was really excited that it was going to be interesting. At the time, I was kind of interested in politics. And so they put my desk right next to the governor's, the policy conference room in the governor's big office area. So they would, every, I was never invited to those meetings. I was there to make copies and to get coffee. That was my job, right? Yeah. So every day they're going in there making large decisions around transportation and education and how they were going to structure this new new government because of the new uh, the because of the leadership change, and I remember this one particular day. I'm I could kind of listen through the wall and hear the discussions they were having, and I remember someone banging the table, and it got voices were getting louder and louder, and the banging got louder, and this booming voice said, "I am the governor of the state of Georgia," <laughs> and I thought. You know, at the time, I had never read a leadership book, never been to a leadership conference, but I knew enough to know something's broken. That's not right. If you're having to bang the table and tell everyone that you have the authority that you have, you're not using influence. You're using your authority to try to get something done. And it's just not helpful. It, it, It will work in the short term for you to wave the gun around and say, I have the gun, so you better do what I tell you to do. But it doesn't work long term. The, the greatest leaders never even had authority anyway. They used mm-hmm. influence to get done whatever it was they were trying to get done. So to me, that's the distinct difference between authority and influence is that you can have influence without authority and you can have authority and not have influence, that they really are completely separate. Now, surely, certainly, when you have authority, it is easier to have influence. It's harder when you don't have authority, but they still are completely separate. I'm so glad you told that story. It's just, it's one of those defining moments. I mean, I think there are husbands who have felt that way. There are wives who felt that way. There are parents, there are kids, there's, there's bosses who have felt that way. Um, But you know, it's funny when you talk about influence, because you think about any organization you've worked at, there's always that rookie. There's always that intern, that summer student, that first year crop where there's one woman or one guy who you're like, wow, we got a rock star. Here. Yes. 
and that has she's got nothing. She's got it. Yep. Nothing to do with their title. Absolutely nothing to do with their income because they're probably making minimum wage or almost nothing. But they've just got influence way beyond their authority. And you're like, I want that person in the room. I want that person here. I want that person on the project. And I think it's that. And a lot of us forget that along the way that really, you know, your business card, you don't need letters after your name. You don't need the title of whatever you happen to be in the current moment. That's right. It's just like you should... Your, your leadership in and of itself packs a punch or it doesn't. That's right. That's right. Okay. That's right. And um, what I have found is that you get to decide that. It's not, I think too yeah. often we think, oh, well, that's been handed to me. And it's just not yeah. true that, and, and to those of you, whoever's listening today, let me just encourage you that whatever role you're in today, you can figure out how to cultivate more influence exactly where you are that you may feel like your back's up against the wall and nobody's listening to you and you never get invited to the the meetings, but you can change all of that today. You have it within yourself to make a decision to choose to cultivate influence with the people around you. And it can start today and you can become a person in your organization that has that kind of it factor, Carrie, that you spoke about a few minutes ago. Mm-hmm. That's the great news about the way life works. What are what are just a couple of short bullet points that help you gain influence? Like in your mind, think about your organization. You're like, yeah. okay, these eight employees, these ten employees, they stand out. What makes them stand out? Yeah. What 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 is it? And and what are so people are like, yeah, I want more influence, but like, where do I start? Right. Well, I, we talked a little bit about self leadership, Carrie, but that's where I would start. Is I would start by saying, okay the day is over where I need someone to lead me well for me to be led well. That from here on out, even if I have the most rotten, awful, horrific boss on planet earth, I am going to lead myself well. And so I'm starting today. So I think that's the first step is going, okay, where am I? I'm going to be self-aware. I'm going to self, I'm going to, as you said earlier, I'm going to identify what's in me that needs to change and grow. And then I'm going to put a plan together to say, I'm going to start growing. Secondly, I think it's attitude. You know, our our attitude really is everything. Uh, I have learned that it is not my education, my experience, my talent that my team needs most. It is my energy, my attitude. And we want in our organization, we want 100 watt bulbs. We want people that are burning bright and they're bringing it every single day. And you can do that wherever you are. You can choose that kind of attitude. It really is an attitude of, I think it's an attitude of positivity. Um, those birds and finding Nemo that just fly around <laughs> screaming, mine, 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 mine. We're all wired to want our own way. But if you, if you could decide today to choose instead of saying mine to say we, I think we really does trump me. And if you can have the kind of attitude that's fighting for the team, that's saying, I'm going to own the decision and make it right, even if it's not the right decision that's been handed to me. Um, that's a huge component of this is choosing to be positive. I think a lot of times we think positivity is a personality trait and it's not, it's not, it really is a decision. The decision. Yeah. And you can make the decision today of whether or not you're going to choose positivity with whatever you've been handed. So those are the, to me, those are yeah. two huge components, which People that don't like positivity or people that there's no one who's negative. There are people that are just realists, right? right, right and right. yeah, I'm they, not, I'm not, I'm not a pessimist. I'm a realist. That's right. like, I'm just no, telling no, you, this not. is what's happening. Yeah. Well, no, you're you, not. Might, you might be, but, um, some people don't like that, but it's, it's, I believe it's true that you can lead yourself well today and you can choose to fight for positivity 
wherever you are. Because what's the option yeah. of positivity? Choose negativity? I mean, then no one wants that. So, <laughs> but th- those are, I think those are two things people can do today. Uh, the third thing I would say, Carrie, is learning the skill of thinking critically. Yeah. Um, that is not easy to do. But if you can, because I think a lot of times I'll, I've given this talk before and people, I can see them, I can see the critical thinkers when I talk about choosing positivity, they shrink back and they think, oh, I get what you're saying. I just need to say yes to whatever my boss wants. And no, that's not the answer. Your boss, I would imagine your boss wants the best decision to be made, even if you, even if it's in disagreement with what your boss is saying, but your boss wants you to pass that on correctly and not in negativity, but lear- learning how to think critically, which is really just adding value, learning how to bring some value, uh, make something better. Um, that's really the, if you couple that with a positive spirit, it's a, you can be a powerful leader from whatever seat you're in. Can I throw a simple hack into the mix that, that just see what you think of this one, a but tech trick. it's yeah. something I taught my kids and you know, it's just a pet peeve of mine. I said to you when, before we, as we were signing on, before we started recording, I feel like I've just been chasing people to do what they were supposed to do today. It's been one of those days. It's simple. Do what you said you're going to do when you said you're going to do it. Now, do I hit That's that mark hundred percent of the time? No, but people who just, it's so simple, but if you do what you said you're going to do, when you said That's you're right. going to do it, you're ahead of about 98% of the population on planet earth. That is and so true. Those employees who are like, it's here a little bit early or it's just done and there's no drama. There's no long litany of everything that went wrong. And sure, every once in a while, you know, your grandma does die. And every once in a while, your car broke down. And every once in a while, you had a bad night's sleep. But I mean, it's just it just seems like we increasingly live in a culture where people just struggle to deliver on promises under promise over deliver. Do you look for that in your team? It, absolutely. I would say that you know, the, the way I like to tell our, or ask our team to lead out on this is to create an oasis of excellence. Hmm. I think that's, I like that phrase a lot because all of us are, you know, none of us are ultimately in charge, but we're all in charge of something. Yeah. And whatever you are in charge of, make a decision today that it is going to be an oasis of excellence. Even if my, even if our whole organization is a crap fest, can I say that on your podcast? <laughs> you can say that. <laughs> Even if it is, I'm what I'm in charge of, it's going to be an oasis of excellence. So so in my house, um, I'm not really a I don't I don't do decoration. I don't I don't design things. <laughs> That's my wife has a much better eye than I do. So so and I'm colorblind as well, so that creates problems. But <laughs> there you um, go. my wife does she she handles the house. So whenever I try to say, Hey, we ought to try this picture here or whatever. She just kind of rolls her eyes and says, no, thank you. But in our house, the garage is my domain. And about every couple of months, I love pulling everything out and pulling it all back in and creating order. And to me, it is the oasis of excellence in our house. That's not to say the rest of our house is messy, but, um, it's just the space that I own. It's the space that I have domain over and I can create whatever's in there. It's going to be uh, ordered and it's going to be put well put together. And, and so that's true, you know, and part of that is doing what you say you're going to do, showing up on time, uh, being excellent with your work so that you can create uh, an oasis of excellence wherever yeah. you are. All right. Well, that's really good. Now, we've talked a lot about your relationship with Andy Stanley as your yes. senior leader. You've had a long working relationship, goes back 
decade or two. Um, what have been some of the best practices that you and Andy have developed? Well, so I interviewed Andy for this, uh, this How to Lead an Night yeah. Judge event, Carrie, which was just a blast to get to interview him because it gave me the freedom to ask him questions that I've always wanted to ask him. So one of the things that I asked him right off the bat, and, and this really gets into one of the things that I, I have learned from Andy, um, I said, hey, one of the most common questions I get, and this is true, is what is it like to work for Andy Stanley? Right. And of course, he laughs and rolls his eyes and says, come on, are you serious? People really ask you that because he's genuinely humble. I don't think it's an act. But I said, yeah, it really is. And so and, and then my follow up question or my question was, what do you want me to say when people ask me that? Or, or, or maybe put another way, what do you want to be said about what is it like to work for you? And he couldn't answer the question without qualifying and saying, well, first of all, I don't really like the phrase working for me. I really think of it as working with me. <laughs> right. And I just, I mean, that struck me so deeply because it's so consistent with who I, I have experienced him to be is that he couldn't even recognize that someone works for him because he just doesn't think of it that way. Yeah. Um, so I would say that alone, just the humility to say, uh, you don't work for me. You're working with me. I mean, that's a huge, if you can, if we train our minds to think that way, it, it affects the way we treat people. Uh, it affects how we lead people in the same interview, Carrie, he said, you know, people are volunteer. Everyone's a volunteer. You know, we, we pay people, but they've, they're volunteering. And I know he didn't leave that phrase. They could leave any, any moment. So Mm -hmm. I think, I think watching him lead that way has probably been one of my greatest takeaways from that, from just learning from him is he really treats people like at any point they could be done and leave. And he knows that, that our organization is not going to be better for that. We're going to be worse for it. So that's one of my favorite things that I have learned about working for him. Have you, have you experienced that in your yeah. I know you joke, like you drop in every couple of times, every twice a year, but it's more than that. But that's been, yeah, no, you know, when, when I hear Andy talk or, you know, in some of the conversations I've had with him, I'm amazed at the respect he shows the team and the gen- and, th- and I think in some ways that probably makes his style of leadership harder. I mean, you know, when you're watching North Point, you see the guy and these days, North Point Online, it's either you or Andy for the most part. And there are other communicators, but, you know, you see the guy in the camera standing next to the TV teaching and Andy's probably the most listened to leader in the Western church today, period, hands down. Um, but what a lot of leaders don't see is how much respect he has for the campus pastors and the other leaders in the organization, how much deference he gives to other viewpoints, how much, even with Reggie Joyner, you know, who yep. was at North Point until 12 years ago, every time I'm in the room with the two of them or, you know, Andy's talking about Reggie, it's like unbelievable deference to and respect for those relationships. And I think, I think that is definitely a practice I want to emulate and, and that I think is rare because we sort of have this cowboy thought of what a senior leader is really like. Andy just walked in the room. He dropped one of his, you know, memorable phrases and everyone went, yes. And then he gave space for everyone to write it down. <laughs> yeah, that's right. That's right. You, y'all got <laughs> no, that? Y'all got that? that? Okay, right, good. Right. He, that is not, <laughs> no, he that doesn't. is not the way it goes at all, at mm-hmm. all. In fact, sometimes you've got to pull an opinion out of him. That's right. That's right. <laughs> Which is crazy. You do. 
Yeah, which right. is nuts, right? It but is. you've 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 got to pull one out of him. Uh, you yeah. probably had tension points with Andy along the way as yeah. well, though stuff that he's had to work through with you, or you've had to work yeah. through with him, or, or jointly. Uh, what were they, and and what helped you get past them? Well, one of the things I had to learn early on as a campus pastor is um, we we talk about they, the they a lot in our organization. Mm. Um, because I, I think it's probably because the the most senior leaders in our organization, a lot of them came from other another church, other churches where right. the, they had a, a lot of power. And they won't give me money for my project. Exactly. That kind of thing. Exactly. I would want to hire someone, but I can't because they won't let me. Or right. why did you not play that song? Oh, we didn't play that song because they don't like that song. Or, <laughs> yeah. yeah, you know, their daughter likes to sing and that's why she's up there on the stage, that kind of <laughs> yeah. stuff that we talked about earlier. Um, so he really, um, I have learned a lot from him about the they, uh, because real, you know, one of the, one of the things as a campus pastor is I, I, you know, for a lot of people that go to our local campus, they see me as the leader. They, you know, if they, if you were to ask them, Hey, who's the pastor of this church? It's less so at North Point. It was more when I was at one of our other campuses called Brownsbridge. Mm. But they they would say, "Oh, well, Clay's the pastor here," because yeah. that is the way we try to operate. But when I blame decisions on they, I'm actually subverting and diminishing my own leadership. Because yeah. naturally, the people that work for me, they just look around me. Then they go, "Okay, well, then you're not really in charge," and so. <laughs> Let's let me get a meeting with the person that is, because I, I think this is the right decision. And we should make this decision. And if you're not courageous enough to fight for it or you're not smart enough to be able to explain it to someone, then get out of the way and let me talk to the person who's really in charge. Wow. And so even in moments where my hands have been tied and they asked me to not make a decision or they weren't going to give us more budget dollars or they weren't going to let us hire a position, I have tried my best to say in that moment, you know what? I've talked it over with them and we made a decision together that this is not the right time or we're going to say no on that to that for now and let's revisit that in a couple of months. I've tried to lead that way more lately because of what it does to diminish my own amount of influence honestly. Yeah. Yeah. And and that eventually gets back to the senior leaders as well, I'm sure. Maybe not every time, but over time it would. And then your influence is diminished, both in the eyes of the people you lead and in the eyes in of the, your the superiors. Yeah. That's right. That's right. Yeah. yeah. No, that, that, that's good. Anything else that you've had to work through? Well, I mean, he's a communication. This, didn't, this doesn't have to do with how to lead when you're not in charge. Yeah. But I mean, he is, he is the king of communicating and he cares yes, he most deeply about communicating. So, you know, the, the most, you know, the hardest conversations we've had have become around sermons where, um, I mean, I can think of one where, um, I, I couldn't figure out, you know, so when you preach a bad sermon, that's not the worst thing that can happen. The worst thing that can happen is not being able to figure out why it was a bad sermon. That's more <laughs> yeah, frustrating, that especially when you have multiple that services. Just stunk. So we like, don't know why. <laughs> and I don't know how to fix it. And I'm about to have to preach it again. So I think this particular week, we were on like a week delay at the time at some of our other campuses. So I, I preached it at one campus and then the next week I was going to go preach it somewhere else. And so I was telling my wife about it and she said, why don't you just ask Andy what he thinks about it? And so like an idiot, I just emailed him and said, hey, I just preached yesterday. I couldn't figure out what was wrong with it. Could you help me? He responded in 
17 seconds and said, have you listened to it? And I went and listened to it and then responded to his email and said, yes, I've listened to it now because he, (laughs) he is such a, um, he will only evaluate something that you yourself have evaluated because he knows that self-evaluation really is the best form. And so he waited until I had listened to it myself. And then he weighed in and gave his feedback. And I got the email back a couple days later because I'd sent him the outline. I said, here's the outline. Yeah, yeah. Here's the message. And so he, he emailed me back the outline and it was dripping with red. It reminded me of like one of those papers that you put <laughs> in school that was just bloodied, you know? And so every, every 10 seconds, it was like minute one, made a great point. Minute two, have no idea where you're going. Minute three, you're still <laughs> trying to explain it. Minute four, this makes less sense than when you first started. I mean, it was brutal. Wow. And I immediately closed the document. I could hardly even read it. I get home that night, tell my wife about it. She said, hey, did Andy respond to you? I'm like, yeah, he did. She said, what did he say? I said, I couldn't read it. It was too I'm bad. Not, I'm not going to sleep for months. Yeah. <laughs> exactly, exactly. And she said, come on, you, you asked him for it. Go Read it. You can do it. You know, so that I did. I ended up having a meeting with him about it a couple days later because I was so disturbed by how much energy he had in his evaluation. And he just continued. I mean, he was hammering me about the structure of it. And I think, I think what he was frustrated about ultimately was that I hadn't run it by enough people ahead of time that I think he felt like at the stage I was at in my career, I needed to ask a few people ahead of time. And I hadn't done that, which ultimately was a lack of preparation. And so I had this moment with him where I was sitting there feeling sorry for myself, and I finally responded to him and said, do you know how hard it is to preach after you? Mm. And without even missing a beat, he said, I want it to be hard to preach after you. Mm. And I was like, wow, that is a great line. It doesn't feel good right now, but that is a fantastic (laughs) line. That's so, a, I'm getting a little emotional like that. That that is it made uh, me emotional. I yeah, think I, I want to make it hard to preach preach after you. That Which that, but that's cool. I mean, it's a sign he cares. And I mean, here you are, all these years later, and he picked you to lead the campus and the church he started. Which is a total honor, and I carry that with, you know, I feel like I carry it with a, a great weight because of the yeah. stewardship. I mean, I'm messing with somebody and, else, you know. I haven't written a book with Andy, but I have written a book with Reggie Joyner and Andy and Reggie worked together for a long, long time, still work together. You know, this fall, they're going on tour together with Deacon Wyatt and Orange. But, um, you know, when Reggie and I wrote our book together and with other projects I've worked on him, like I I had never been exposed to that level of wordsmithing before. We're literally, we spent entire days, I mean, working days, debating a a three word phrase. Exactly. Three word phrase. And, and those two guys, they are cut from the same cloth. And that oh my regard. gosh, I'm yeah. saying to Reggie, Reggie, it's good enough. He's like, no, it's not there yet. And I'm like, uh, let's go eat. You know, like, <laughs> what, right. are we, what are we going to do? And right. and you know what? He's right. He was yeah. right. Like, you've got to. And I've become a much more careful wordsmith over the years. And I'm I'm not nearly at their level um, in terms of, of of precision, but like. There is, and when you write a book or you, you write something that like, you know, you've got this book coming out and I've written some books, I'm writing another book right now. I got a manuscript due whoo, right now, Ooh. actually. So, um, but you know, you live by those words for a long yeah. time. Yes. You better like them five years yes. from now. You better like them a decade from now. 
Yeah, well, and you think, you know, I know this is not what this is about, Carrie, but you just think about the power of words, and it's interesting because it's not the individual words, it's the order, it's the choice, it's the inflection, it's the it's the the form and the flow. I mean, I, I think about uh, Martin Luther King Jr.'s statement, an injustice anywhere is a threat to justice everywhere. You think about a phrase like that, I mean, that, that gives rhythm. me chill bumps. Yeah, it's got a rhythm, it, you know, the, the justice and the injustice play off each other, the anywhere and the everywhere play off each other, and it's just... It's brilliant, and it creates sticky statements that, you know, words change people. I mean, words create decisions in us that we make that, you know, people, I always, it blows my mind when people make that decision to start giving money to a church, because you just think, okay, that's a powerful order of words that someone put together that caused you to open up your wallet and give money to an organization now. I mean, that's wild, but it really is... um, yeah, it is. Communication is our most powerful tool as leaders. So, you know, Jeff Henderson uses that this phrase that leadership has a microphone, that leadership mm-hmm. carries a microphone, leadership requires a microphone. And whatever we're doing to lead well, whether we're in charge or not, how well we communicate will dictate how much influence that we have. So yeah. it, I have learned it is a worthwhile endeavor to try to become a better communicator. And Jeff's another incredible wordsmith. Oh my goodness. Yes. What a, yes. <laughs> what a guy who yes. thinks a lot about communication. Okay. Yes. So here's yes. a question for you. What's yep. the question about leading when you're not in charge? No one has ever asked, asked you that you wish they had asked you. The question about leading when you're not in charge that no one has ever asked. I mean, I think it's the... the I think it's the question about what about when I get in charge? I mean, that's, that's what most of us we're all aiming for, but we don't think now about what that's going to be like. And so I think it's the, Hey, um, how is this going to apply when I am in charge? And, and part of it is because I'm speaking to non-senior leaders, to people that are not in charge. (laughs) So you're speaking to non-senior leaders. Yeah. So I'm speaking to people that are all working for someone and most of us dream about being in charge, but we're not necessarily making plans on how we're going to lead when we get there. Yeah. I mean, it's the same thing when people are dating, they're just thinking about how do I get the girl to say yes? I'm not <laughs> thinking about what it's actually going to be like when she does say yes and what yeah. that relationship And is two like. years after the wedding, what's it really going to be like? Yeah. Ex- exactly. No yeah. one's asking that question in uh-uh. premarital counseling. They're just going like, hey, how quickly can we go ahead and uh, make this connection. So, Mm -hmm. yeah. So I think that's the, that's the question that, um, I think all of us should be thinking about because it matters what you're doing to, and we all know this, we, we know this in theory, but none of this time when we're not in charge is wasted that even all of our waiting, it can be valuable because we can learn things. And so waiting, waiting to lead doesn't have to be wasted time that we can learn things now because once we get in charge the influence we've cultivated is ultimately going to be what we have or don't have to be able to lead well and and that story about that governor that I shared that had to scream in the meeting yeah, 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 yeah. somewhere someday he had missed an opportunity to cultivate influence mm-hmm. and he was paying for it that he had not cultivated enough influence he had he had depended on authority or was waiting on the authority 
And now that he was in the seat, he was having to use the authority and it just doesn't work as well. But if you choose today to cultivate influence, you will have that influence when you are in charge and it will allow you to lead better because Mm. people will do what you want them to do, not because you tell them to, but through the influence that you have over them with them. That's so good. Okay, you got some young leaders listening. They are frustrated. They feel misunderstood. We've kind of addressed that already. They think nobody in their organization is giving them a chance. Uh, Give them a couple of quick tips, your best advice. I would say exactly what you said earlier, Carrie, about faithfulness, that the answer doesn't have to be, well, I just need to leave, that you need to figure out today, how can I be more faithful where I am? How can I have more influence over what my boss thinks about me today? How can I be a wind in the sail of the boss that I work for? And how can I ultimately figure out a way to, to add value in the seat that I'm in? How can I make something better where I am now? I, I use this illustration a lot, but when I was an intern, um, n- not necessarily at North Point, though this does happen at North Point, but we would, uh, the first task that they would assign, I say that because Carrie, I tried to be an intern at North Point and I got rejected. And so I've actually worked <laughs> in facilities for um, about six months. There you go. And, which was a blast, honestly. Mm. Um, but w- one of the first things we ask interns to do is we ask them to clean out this closet that's got all of our props in it. And after, you know, I was the high school pastor at North Point for about five years. And every summer when the interns came, we'd say, hey, your first thing you're going to do is you're going to clean this closet out. Mm-hmm. And uh, I started realizing, you know what? There, there are closets that need to be cleaned out everywhere, and I don't, we don't have to wait for someone to ask us to clean them out. We can just go, hey, is anybody handling this closet? And we can just pick that up and start making it better. And so where, whoever, those of you who are listening, which hopefully is everyone who's listening. I think everyone who's listening is listening. Hopefully yeah. everyone who's listening is listening, but um, <laughs> wherever you are today, there is a closet that needs to be cleaned out. It's, there's something on your team that everybody's stopped paying attention to, that it's come up in meetings 10 times. They've said, hey, if only this were different, but yet no one has the time to do it or the energy to do it. Don't wait until someone tells you to do it. Go ahead and pick up that thing and say, I'm going to clean this closet out, even if it's something no one wants to do. Because it will help you gain influence in whatever seat you're in. It, it, will, it, will, it will be your calling card. It can become your, your key into more meetings. And every, every step in our career is accomplished responsibilities. And so the more responsibility that you can handle and own and accomplish, the more doors it's going to open up. I mean, Jesus That's said, good advice. To whom much is given, much is required. And he who is faithful with a little can be trusted with a lot. Mm -hmm. And every, you know, Carrie, there was a day where you were not in charge and you had whatever was handed to you. And there were plenty of days where, you know, when I first started, it was go sweep out the East auditorium. Now it's manage this campus. And so they've been a progression of steps, but each way along the way, the responsibility has been to own what I've been given and to handle it well. So whatever you've been put in charge of today, you can handle it really well. And if you haven't been put in charge of anything, pick something up, be active about it. 
take have be some proactive. Be proactive. That's amazing advice. That's really good. Well, Clay, the book comes out a week today from our broadcast date. It's called uh, How to Lead When You're Not in Charge. Is that right? That's right. That is exactly All right. right. And uh, tell us more about the book and where people can find it. And there's a limited time offer. So if you're listening yes. the week of air, there's an opportunity here. Yes. Um, you know, I did this because um, so many teams were asking to go through it because if, if you're a senior leader or if you're in charge of a team, the, I think this is a great thing to go through with your team because I think there are some things that I can say in the book that it would sound self-serving if you said them. Right. And so if you let me say them, it will help you. It will help you unlock more influence in your team. And so I would love for teams to go through it. So one of the one of the pre-order deals that we did was anybody who buys five or more, uh, we're giving away the interviews that I did with Andy Stanley, Louis Giglio, Frank Blake, Home Depot CEO, uh, Melody Dixon and Tommy Dawson from Life Church, who are campus pastors, tremendous leaders. And then Shane Todd uh, from Chick-fil-A has an amazing story of selling the milkshake mm. before the milkshake was sanctioned to be sold. It's a great <laughs> story. And so uh, we have that offer. And then if you buy 10 or more, we also add the, I've got some teaching sessions that I've done that are seven or eight minutes long. You can play them for your team. And then we have some discussion questions that go along with those. And so if you bulk order, if you buy 10 or more, you get all of those and you can use that with your team. So I hope people genuinely, I hope people will use it. And I hope that you will um, leverage this content with your team to help your team figure out how to lead better wherever. How do they access the bonuses? Because they won't be on Amazon, right? No. So go to claystroggins.com. And uh, I think under the book tab, you can click on that and find the pre-order offers. Um, we'll link you, to all that in the show notes. That, oh, thanks for doing that, Carrie. Um, but it's yeah, it'll it'll all be there on that site. Is that's where the opportunity for the pre-orders is. Well, Clay, I'm really excited. You're going to help literally tens of thousands, if not hundreds of thousands, of leaders with this. And uh, this has been a really great conversation. It's a question I get a lot: What do I do? I'm not the senior leader. What do I do? I'm not the senior leader. Well, this has been an hour and a quarter of unbelievable advice. So thank you so much, Clay. Well, thanks for adding your voice to it all, Kerry. You, you, um, you play the humble facilitator and question asker, but you've learned to do this really well. And I've gotten to see that just by watching you lead. And, and honestly, by watching Jeff Brody, the guy who replaced you lead. I mean, it's remarkable oh. the gr- relationship the two of you had and how well he's leading. And it really is a credit to you. So thank you. Jeff's doing a great job. And you know what? There is a day where we're all not in charge, right? So (laughs) we're all in charge of something. Uh, But it's a stewardship. It's temporary. I think I heard that from a wordsmith once somewhere. I forget. I heard that too. It was Andy Stanley, I think. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's right. Hey, Clay, thanks so much, man. Thanks, Gary. Well, gold everywhere in that conversation. You can access the show notes if you want at kerryneuhoff.com slash episode 153 or simply go to leadlikeneverbefore.com. Click on blog and uh, enter the term in the search field like Clay Scroggins and you'll find it. So it's all there. And next week we are back. Well, we got a lot of really exciting stuff coming up. Uh, We're going to talk about big data on this podcast. Like, is that not exciting? I mean, I'm I'm pumped. John Acuff is going to be here. I've got a fascinating conversation about succession with Wit and Willie George, something amazing that just happened at Church on the Move. Mark Batterson is coming back this fall. We just heard from him, but he's got a new book and 
We're going to talk about, uh, well, just have a catch up with Mark, which will be great, and a whole bunch of others, which I'm so excited about. So the way you get that all for free is to subscribe wherever you get your podcast, do that. And then if this has helped you, share it with some other leaders as well. And we've also got, by the way, our third anniversary coming up next month. And we got a little celebration for you on that. So hang on, because uh, we'll give you more details about that soon. Next week, we are back with another North Pointer, just by coincidence, Todd Fields, who has led worship for two decades there and is in charge of all of their worship leaders. I know we have a lot of worship leaders listening and, and a lot of us who just love worship music and, and leaders who are trying to figure out how to lead musicians. Well, Todd's got a lot on that. Have a, have a listen in. And when you feel like, Nobody's like knows what's going on here in my church, you know. Nobody's gonna help me get any better. I just want I want to bring the, the the ministry leaders together and say, no, we're together, we're with you, and you've got the spirit of God in you to accomplish in your lifetime more than you could ask or imagine for the kingdom of God in your church. Well, that's next week on the podcast. In the meantime, thanks so much to TrainedUp.Church. If you haven't got your volunteers particularly well-trained, or maybe you do, but you're just looking for a better way to do it, check out TrainedUp.Church. Don't miss the Orange Tour this fall. I think my first stop is uh, in Atlanta in mid-September, so it's going to be a lot of fun. And can't wait to hang out with you this fall. We're back next week with a brand new episode. And thanks so much for listening. I really do hope our time together today has helped you lead like never before. You've been listening to the Carrie Newhoff Leadership Podcast. Join us next time for more insights on leadership, change, and personal growth to help you lead like never before.